So there's a little reminder then. Um, so it wouldn't be inadvisable to have, as a matter of course, an, an A4 form that is literally a dialogue. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm afraid to do anything you know, that they don't already do. Though I think, I think in different places that would be quite common. Should contrition not be evident from the confession? That's actually what I'm about to move on to, but it's, it's a good question. Um, sometimes it's evident, sometimes it's not. Um, people are odd in the way they speak. I guess we all, the, some people have a confessional voice, and, and so, so that they can sound insincere even if they're not insincere. It may have been a form he wasn't familiar with, or maybe he wasn't listening at that moment. Surely not. Well, I said something like, you know, these are my sins, I'm really sorry for them. I resolve to try to do better. Right. Right. Okay, let me phrase it this way and say, what in the history of kind of the moral theology of this sacrament, what is the purpose of of these standard act of contrition prayers? Well, if you read any of the traditional ones, what they actually express in words is exactly what the penitent needs to have as his disposition. So it will express... I intend not to sin again, that I hate the sin, um, that I will do satisfaction for my sin. Now, in many confessions, people meander, they're vague, they're unclear. By having that prayer crystallise everything at the end of it, you're kind of ensuring there's enough matter for the sacrament to work. So if they mean what they say then, the kind of sacrament has validity. That said, as you're indicating, it's possible to have said all those things in an unstructured manner in the way you confess the sin. But the reason for those standard package prayers is to make sure that's achieved in a kind of ritual manner. Um, and because a priest would be so familiar with hearing that, if you've not done it in that manner, he might just get thrown. I wondered if it because because I, as an ex Anglican, I made confession in, in, in the Catholic parish church. Right. And he had not had experience of hearing confessions from ex Anglicans, which was a little bit more detailed than the usual couple of minutes. Right. And, and therefore perhaps turned off. Yes, uh, in the just uh, his mind was elsewhere. Yeah. It could well be. Could well be. <laughs> I want to shift focus now. Um, So I've been thinking about how we need to be orienting ourselves to the different type of penitent coming to us. Uh, In all of that, though, there is a minimum we need to make sure is achieved. Um, Now, why is that relevant? Well, one of the issues is that this sacrament isn't just about what you as the priest are giving. It's not just about what you as the priest are saying. Um, And lots of people, including lots of liberal priests, think that actually all it's it's about is them giving the words of absolution. And there can be, even in a good intention sense, a very kind of imperious clericalism about that, that actually the penitent doesn't matter. I give the words of absolution, and it happens. Whereas that's not the way sacraments work. If I say the words of consecration at the Mass, but there isn't bread and wine, there isn't a sacrament. There's something that the penitent has to bring that meets my words of absolution and makes a sacrament. So the minimum we are needing to make sure is there is what the matter of the sacrament is for my words of absolution as the form to bring them together and make a sacrament. So, um, historically, um, let me just write this all on the board, these four points. 
just a bit. So the form of the sacrament is the words of absolution. The matter is threefold. Contrition, confession, and satisfaction. Now, in the medieval period, Duns Scotus argued that the only thing that constituted the sacrament was the, was the words of absolution. Um, that opinion was rejected by the Council of Trent, um, which said, no, there is a matter. And it had a little bit of a debate about the fact that this isn't physical matter. All the other sacraments have a, a physical thing. But there isn't oil, there isn't bread and wine. So it says, called these quasi-matter, um, but said they are matter nonetheless and are essential for there to be a sacrament. Um, I noticed one of the, um, there's a very good book on confession published by Mowbray, that's, I think Williams is the author, um, I've listed on the bibliography there. But he shows he's an Anglican in the sense that he doesn't acknowledge the definitive judgment of the Council of Trent. So he actually follows Scotus on this point. He notices that Scotus and Aquinas disagree on the question of what is the matter and just moves on to go with Scotus. Um, as Catholics, Trent has resolved this debate for us. Um, what we're looking for is to make sure that a minimal degree of contrition, confession, and satisfaction is present for there to be a sacrament. And if you know your history of the sacrament, you'll know that in antiquity, the satisfaction for sins was made publicly and previously, so you committed adultery. You would, before the bishop in your little town, um, everyone would know that you'd committed adultery, but they would also know that you'd made satisfaction for it, and after that, you would get the absolution. So the order in which these four come has varied in history, but for there to be a sacrament, they all go together. One final kind of introductory thing on this um, question of general absolution. Uh, it's nowhere near as fashionable as it used to be, in part because most liberals no longer believe in sin, so they don't care about being forgiven, so they're not concerned about general absolution. But there was a period after the council when people still had a sense of sin, but didn't want the awkwardness of confession. So they wanted general absolution services were very common. Something is a liberal thing. It was struck me as liberal just when I heard general absolution. about it a couple of years ago. To use it in a regular setting, yes. It, um, so if it, the, I'm not going to go through it today, but there are grounds for general absolution. If you're in danger of death, if you're about to go into battle as an mm -hmm. army, if you're in a building and you're all about to burn down, the priest doesn't have to hear everyone's confession. He can give a general absolution. But, as the church teaches on that point, it's a rather odd sort of absolution that it is conditional on your resolution to get to confession as soon as you can. So that if you survive, mm -hmm. you have to confess what you would have confessed otherwise. So I've committed adultery, I don't have to think, Phew, fortunately that I survived the house burning down, I got the absolution anyway and I don't have to then confess it. Well no, you do need to confess it, because that is integral to the whole thing. Most... So I've got a question. That yeah. I, I just recall um, a, a liturgical event. I, I used to be a military chaplain before going into a, a combat situation for six months, mm -hmm. where the Catholic chaplain in the brigade gave general absolution prior to moving into this zone, and there were non-Catholics there. But it was, from his viewpoint... There had been fairly high casualties in the previous tour. He wanted to make sure that people had that sense that they had got on their side. Not in a perverse sense, but if they followed him in prayer, they could be absolved. You couldn't receive a general absolution if you're not a Catholic, because what the sacrament is doing is restoring you to communion with the Church, yeah. not just me and Jesus. Mm. 
Um, so I'd have to say he's on yeah. it, dodgy ground there. But um, that would otherwise, I think, fulfil what the purpose of a general absolution is about. Though, if you've got a group of soldiers heading off, probably most of them will have a chance, one-on-one, -on -one, depending on how large the group is, to go to confession. The general absolution is conditional on their intention to make confession when they can. If I was the army chaplain, I would then be making myself available, um, but also explaining what the church spells out quite clearly in the document on this sacrament um, are the conditions of general absolution. So if you receive this absolution and you die before you get to confession, you die reconciled with God. Mm -hmm. But you should be seeking to get to confession and confess yeah. what you need to confess. Before he was trying to be kind, I think, and inclusive, to use a popular word. But if it's not actually a sacrament, mm -hmm. then it's actually... Um, Deceiving people mm. is really what it comes uh, down to. You're talking, Father, about uh, uh, the function of the sacrament is, is to restore communion with the church, not just me and, and Jesus. So the two have to go together. Mm. Okay, so all Anglican confessions then are invalid. Um, well, Can an Anglican confession, from the Catholic point of view, restore the relationship between an individual and Christ? Um, I'm not going to get into the question of the validity of Anglican orders because that's obviously um, <coughs> so if the Anglican orders aren't valid to start with then the question of forgiveness In that case, and, and the, that God the works no if you hold that God can work outside of the sacraments but that isn't his ordinary means of doing so and if somebody thinks they are approaching a sacrament, but for other reasons in their faulty formation they're not, then the church would teach they would. So there's the phrase, the church supplies. So if I go to confession here, a public London church, the box says there's a priest here in confessions, I go in and I confess, but actually there's a drunk in there hearing everybody's confessions, <laughs> and he's not a priest at all, um, I have gone to confession in good faith. The phrase the church supplies is the coverall, and it only applies when everything else in the sacrament, from my angle, has been rightly followed. So if I didn't bother to find out if it was a real priest or something, then I've not approached it properly. I think the same principle would hold with a, an Anglican lay person going to confession in their local church. They think they're doing things properly. They're not. But somehow the church supplies. Um, well, there's valid matter there. There could be valid matter in the case of an Anglican because they have the proof criteria. The problem is they don't have the form, which is a valid... Uh, I mean, sort of, a, there's one issue that sort of the matter should include should include both persons. Well, it doesn't, but the matter you've got penitent has contrition, confession, satisfaction. You got person one who has mm -hmm. these states, but isn't doesn't factor in the priest. The matter of the priest. The, one of the issues the matter of the priest who's valid is a priest. The matter would be not only the penitent but also the priest or the confessor saying the form, because you're sort of avoiding the matter of the priest. I think the classical way of distinguishing that would be to refer that bit of the matter to ordination of what makes the priest, and that the form it's absolution is a condition that it has; it can only come from a priest. But so, so it is an implicit matter of yeah. the priest who's had. You could say it that way, too. right? Right. But there is the matter of the priest, which is which is implicit. Uh, yeah, and without that, there's not going to be a sacrament. There might be a moment of grace. And God can work outside, does work outside the sacraments all the time. The church teaches that the grace through the church works outside of the church. Um, there but are it isn't also valid priests in the Anglican church who are irregularly ordained. Because you can 
there, there are cases where the Vatican has ruled that someone, because of their pedigree, through old Catholic, somehow they had, just happened to have a valid ordination, uh, but they're irregular because they're out of communion. I think the most the Vatican has said is there's then been a conditional ordination, yeah. which isn't the same thing as there not then being an ordination yeah. at all. Right. Um, but I'm not going to get yeah. distracted on the question of validity of orders. Um, so, uh, sorry, from, yeah. Take, take the extreme situation on the battlefield. Right. Then, uh, if a Catholic priest cannot, in those circumstances, give absolution to people who are not Catholic, souls who are not Catholics, because the, the sacrament involves re-communion with the church, remaking communion with the church, he can't absolve them from their sins in terms of their personal relationship. Under those circumstances. Because what is he? He's a minister of the church. Um, so, now, if the level of questioning you put to somebody wanting to enter the church um, gets very much reduced the closer somebody is to death. Um, I wouldn't go around a battlefield indiscriminately baptising everybody with a water hose, though historically there have been cases where that has been done. Um, but I think that's an abuse of the sacrament rather than proper use of it. But in those situations, or in many parallel ones, there would be many stages where, as a priest, I would take the slightest glimmer that somebody is seeking that from me as a sign of them wanting what I can give. But for me to systematically presume that with a whole block of the soldiers here, some are Catholic, some aren't, would be an abuse of the sacrament. Okay, one further question. Okay. When we were received into the Catholic Church several years ago, we made our first confession. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can remember, falsely, as I was socially told, assuming that I didn't need to go back to the of my youth because mm -hmm. they'd be dealt with within the church. I was a member, uh, and I, I was faced with the task of then going back to a priest and searching my mind back through tens and tens of, year, mm -hmm. of years to dig out things which I thought had been mm -hmm. fully dealt with. Now, I'm not sure that that was absolutely necessary. I'm not sure that it was right, given, given that, as you have said, God can, isn't constrained by a second. We are moving on to the question of confession. So can I, I'll briefly answer that, but we will right. come on to that. So, unconfessed sins of grave matter, not a venial matter, have to be confessed at a later occasion. Why is that? The, the phrase used is, they have to be unlocked by the keys, they have to be brought to the keys. Um, most of us will have, well, it depends, there are people who live their entire life without ever committing a mortal sin but um, people most of us remember things in our past life that actually in the t at the time we were so blind to our sin so immersed in it we didn't even confess it um, when at a later time we realise it then we should bring it to the keys um, to be set free but so you when you can that's your general and all these other sins I can't remember this mortal do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That said, confession of past sins, which is a standard practice in the church, is much more generic than confession of current ones. So I confess that twenty years ago I was at university and I was unchaste in whatever. I can summarize that in a much more generalized manner than I would if I was talking about the sins of this past week. But for the grace of the sacrament to unlock those sins, I need to bring them to the sacrament. And this is a point that was anathematized at the Council of Trent, so that the, the, the fathers thought it was pretty important. Because um, there were those that were saying you don't have to confess in a subsequent confession sins that you later remember. Um, we have moved on to confession. I wanted first to say some words about contrition. The change of it, of course, is it 
Yes, indeed, <coughs> indeed. Um, Which would be a sin in itself, and say so you You can obsess in a non-sinful way. You can obsess in a sinful way. Um, Tell me how. Can I move on to contrition first? So, what I want us to focus on is the question, what is, so I'm there the priest, I'm hearing the confession, I'm wanting to be sure there is matter for the sacrament. There has to be contrition. Well, what type of contrition has to be there? So the church distinguishes between perfect and imperfect contrition. So if I, perfect contrition is when I'm sorry out of love for God. I've done this thing, it's wrong, and I realise it's a rejection of God's love. That is the perfect motive for being sorry for my sin. An imperfect motive is to be sorry out of fear of hell. Now that is real sorrow, but it's not perfect sorrow, it's not perfect contrition. Another reason the church says is of the ugliness of sin. So I've committed a sin, and back to chastity again you realise chastity is an ugly thing because something has shown you the beauty of chastity you don't really see it as a matter of love of God or even a fear of hell but you see the unchastity is ugly and you are sorry for it for that motive that is an imperfect contrition but it's a real contrition so the minimum we're looking for here is imperfect contrition, not perfect contrition. And one of the graces that the sacrament offers is to raise your imperfect contrition to perfect contrition. That is a grace being given in the sacrament. And obviously we all respond to it with different degrees of cooperation with grace. But you as the priest, you're just looking that there is imperfect contrition. And part of your job as a priest, when you are hearing a confession and it's evident that there isn't sorrow there, isn't just to kick the person out and say, you're not sorry. <laughs> part of your job is to arouse contrition. So a fairly common example would be somebody who comes in with the sin of anger or the sin of hatred. Well, to give them different motives being sorry. So you say you're angry at that evil mother-in-law of yours. Um, well, maybe you're not sorry for the sake of your mother-in-law, but are you sorry for the sake of your husband? That you give them another reason to be sorry for that. And that's not perfect contrition, but it's a real contrition. You're seeking to give them a reason to be sorry, to arouse contrition from them. And sometimes um, the most simple reason is because you know Jesus tells you to. Jesus tells you to forgive. Um, and you may not feel like forgiving, but you know this is what Jesus expects of you. And therefore, you repent of the ugliness of this. Um, so, you as the priest have to ensure contrition's there. That said, there's a general criteria that I quote on page two of the notes I've given you in which it says, barring manifest signs to the contrary, there is a presumption of goodwill, a presumption of contrition. So if somebody's confessing it, unless they manifestly indicate that they're not sorry, I presume they are sorry. Um, that's the kind of presumption we work on in the sacrament. And there'll be many cases, and in my own heart I'm sure there are many cases I've just by rote said something in confession, and there's not been sorrow there, I'm sure. Um, so, what do you think? Yeah, I was struggling. How much can I say about confession? You know, uh, I'll speak in very general terms. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, a lady comes, and she's married, and she has a relationship with another man that's really almost asking you to condone that. She's not going to give it up. what is the Catholic teaching, what your conscience say? But there, it was a long time and I didn't feel really there was contrition, if that makes sense. But I didn't feel really there was no, no, no. I, I wasn't going to be a change. 
And that is a very real scenario mm -hmm. at, at all kinds of angles. And I really struggle with that, really. Sometimes um, we do have to say no. And pastorally, I always phrase it as deferring the absolution, saying I think you need to think about this and come back when you are ready to be sorry, uh, express contrition. Um, I haven't had to do that often, but occasionally. Um, occasions of sin. So, what is, what is included in contrition? <clears throat> so, amendment of life. I have to resolve to amend my life. If I don't resolve to amend my life, I'm not actually sorry. I intend to keep doing it. Um, and also the pressure that you were condoning what she was doing. For the priest, yes indeed. Um, is the desire to amend not sufficient? The beginning of the journey? That's a point I was about to come on to that I do say on, on the notes I gave you. Somebody doesn't have to have figured out how they're going to get out of this pattern of sin, but they have to resolve to do so. So let's imagine a woman is living with a man. Um, she's confessed that she's in this sinful relationship. She resolves that she has to get out of it. That doesn't mean she's already formulated how she's going to explain this to the man, what <coughs> day she's going to move out. She doesn't have to have detailed all that, but she has to have resolved that that is what she's going to do. Can't she therefore receive Holy Communion? Yes. Um, unless by that you mean, is she going to leave confession, go have sex again with this man who isn't her husband, and then come to Mass in the morning and go to Communion? No, she couldn't then, because she would have sinned since the Mass mm -hmm. confession. So, the the resolution she has to. Have it what sorry? She regulated the gentle acts. She could do just that. Made confession. Made sure she didn't have sex until after yes, she yes. committed. And then you know, I, I assume herself, but it's. Well, so there would be a risk there of actually that the way that could be phrased and done by her would actually be a lack of amendment yeah. mm. um, and a, some form of playing games with God. Um, yeah. So we need to make sure we don't condone the playing of games with God. Um, you see, another one was, um, example, was, again, adultery. Mm. Um, I've tried, but I just keep slipping back and I, you know, it's almost I'm going to do it again, aren't mm. I? There's a difference between slipping back again and again and intending to slip back. Um, so we are looking for the intention to not do so. Um, so one of the points that there's a book called The Vade Mecum for Confessors that came out in the late 1990s and it makes this explicit point about sins of sexual morality um, that you don't as a priest presume that just because somebody has done this many times and confessed it many times that therefore they're not truly sorry. Mm. In essence, there's no difference between that, is there? I mean, pride. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. So I confess pride, I can be pretty sure I'm going to get pride again. <laughs> well, I'm just going to ask a frank question, you know, as a parish priest, I'm a parish priest. Do you have couples that come to you for marriage that aren't living together? Uh, all the time. Oh, oh, sorry, that aren't living together, sorry. Um, uh, rarely. So, yes, in so preparation for marriage. Presume, I mean, that's not bad, but you just kind of sadly assume uh, against your charitable judge, charitable disposition that they're living together, and then they are. So they're living together, and they want you to marry them. Mm -hmm. I will uh, explain to them, you know, right. by the way, the church does teach, you living together, and you can do so for financial reasons, but the church does have this clear teaching that you should be chaste. And... Uh, and Rather you, than putting the burden on them so they got to find the money to maintain two separate households, I don't want to take it that far. Although I suppose technically they should. But. I think as a priest I would say that the situation they're in is sinful, as contrary to what the church says. Um, that they need to resolve that before they get to the marriage. 
if they want to enter marriage in a state of grace, um, to be able to benefit from the sacramental grace that the sacrament of marriage can give them, they need to resolve that before the marriage. But then it only matters if both of them are Catholic anyway. Oh, well, it's not a sacrament. Uh, well, Sorry, I mean, I'm dealing with a situation yeah. where I've had this couple came in, she's Catholic, he's mm-hmm. professing Christian, never been baptized, so then suddenly my name is dragged through the mud mm-hmm. because I said, well, why don't I, I talk to him? Maybe, why can you get baptized in your church? Mm-hmm. And then you'll have a sacramental marriage. Because otherwise they wouldn't have a sacramental marriage. But they don't need a sacramental marriage before the wedding. If he gets baptized at a later date, yeah. the marriage becomes a sacrament then. But he does have to have the German impediment of cult. Yes, yes. Um, we've moved... Yeah, I'm sorry, but... but from anyway, the question. Um, I've, I've been very... I've had extreme... We all are all folks. We have difficulty with couples coming in. Yep. When, when, when are we ever going to get to practicing faithful Catholic come to us to get married? We're not. Oh, well, I've done, I've, done, I've done some. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it's an incredible, wonderful thing when it happens. But <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. Um, so, um, we're, we're, sorry. Well, I think it's, uh, especially in that area, it's worth remembering that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, in, our, in the culture and society in which we live that helps them in any way to be, live faithfully to the... And there has been nothing probably in their upbringing so that in terms of the culpability of what is going on in comparison to some other sins, I think we need to have that, you know, keep that in perspective. Mm-hmm. At the same time, as, you know, making sure that if you lived in a society where everybody was always expected to lie, you know, where that was the, the done thing, then being honest would be more difficult than in a society that is basically trying to be authentic, however well. Mm. Similarly, there are societies in which um, the aim of much of education in relationships is not to be faithful to Catholic teaching, not expressly, but more or less, and therefore it is more difficult for people to to live that. It's worth bearing in mind, I think. So materially, we can say they may or may not be Materially, they're in a state of sin. Formally. Maybe formally, maybe, maybe not. But you're saying, when you marry couples, if they're living together, what you, I mean, whether they come to confession and they say they're living together, uh, they're not married, uh, we, I confess my sin. Uh, they, if it's, well, we're talking about confession here. Either, so, either one. So in, in confession, <clears throat> that you are seeking purpose of amendment to resolve to amend yeah. what they're doing. <clears throat> Uh, even if they haven't at that moment figured out practically how they're going to do that. Okay, so occasions of sin. They've got to remove themselves for the occasion thing. Another thing that contrition involves uh, has to be universal. Uh, this is when you get badly formed Catholics coming to confession, this will be a, a thing you sometimes come across. I'm sorry for these sins. Oh, but that thing doesn't matter over there. I'm not sorry about that yet. I realize that's a big thing, but these things I'm confessing. So somebody, for example, divorced and remarried, can't go to communion, they also can't receive sacramental absolution because there's a big chunk there that isn't, they're not ready to resolve before God. Contrition has to be universal. And obviously it will be more perfect in some parts of my life than others, but I have to have a general sense of being sorry for everything not having some component of my life that I'm not wanting to bring that to God yet. Okay, one last thing about contrition. Um, You will come across people who just don't think they've sinned. Now, if you don't think you've sinned, if you don't think you've sinned, you're not sorry. If you don't think you've sinned, you can't be absolved. Because you're saying there's nothing to be absolved for. Um, but you will sometimes get people, and actually, in my experience, I'll give a great sermon on the need to go to confession, and so next Saturday somebody comes, um, you said I have to go to confession, Father, so here I am, but I've not done anything. Well, I've had it often enough to say 
to be able to say without revealing it, breaking the seal, that no, I've had that from men too, and not just once. Um, and also not when it's been my super sermon, but somebody else has given a super sermon, but only part of it's gone in. So we need to be pointing out that what this is in this sacrament is confession of sin, sorrow for sin. If you don't think you've sinned, um, well, I will almost invariably, uh, so I have a, several stacks of different examinations of conscience that are kind of structured for different types of penitence. Teenagers, children, adults. Um, I have more detailed ones for those that are looking for more than just grave matter and so forth. Um, and I will direct the penitent. I'll say, what I think you need to do to be able to make use of what the sacrament has on offer uh, is help prepare yourself better by going through an examination of conscience. Um, and often I'd offer to do that outside of the normal confessional slot, to talk that through with somebody. So if I explain to somebody what pride is and how it gets manifested, they might realise, oh yes, I do commit all these different sins of pride. I am stubborn. I am overly attached to my opinions. I am unwilling to yield in this. Whereas you will get people that will say, oh no, pride, that's an awful thing. I wouldn't do that. Um, so, somebody has to realise they've sinned. This is the bottom line condition for this, this point here. Alright? Okay, I'm not obviously going to get through all of these conditions. Let's do something about the condition of confession before we start for lunch. So, the next part of the matter, they have to confess their sins. Well, what actually do they have to confess? So, if we, this is now page nine of the notes I've given you. So, at the top there, I am quoting from the Code of Canon Law. Um, they have to confess number, kind, and species. Um, so, Kind and species, well, if they've specified the species, they've indicated the kind, whether they're intending to or not. But it's a sin of the flesh, and it is in this manifestation. So that is a bit of duplication, really. But number. Not just, I've committed adultery, but how many times? And in what form we're talking about? Normally you would presume. So one of the things to say here is that people will often say things very unclearly. But if they've said it, even if it's unclear, then they've said it. So the example I've given there is, me and my girlfriend, we did the business. Now, that could be said in a tone of voice that indicates, and actually I'm rather pleased about it, or it could be an awkward teenage... Un an awkward way of phrasing things, but he's actually told you what he's done. You don't need to force him to specify which commandment by number he's broken and so forth. He said what he's done, it was clear what he meant, he's confessed it. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not demanding a certain demeanor. <laughs> in a well-formed confession, and when we're in our preaching and with smaller groups of people, when we're teaching people how to do this, demeanour, manner of expression are all things that we want to encourage. And in part, as I say like with my youth group, would be if somebody confesses clearly, the priest doesn't need to ask any questions. If you say, I was impure with my boyfriend, well, that hasn't told me whether you looked at him <laughs> or whether you slept with him. It's, it's been so vague. So if you want to be sure the priest isn't going to ask any questions, <clears throat> say things clearly. Um, can somebody volunteer to read the paragraphs at the top of the page there? So I've quoted, um, rather than my voice all the time, would you mind reading these two paragraphs here? Hmm. All mortal sins must be confessed. All mortal sins of which penitence after a diligent self-examination are conscious must be recounted by them in confession even if they are most secret 
and have been committed against the last two precepts of the Decalogue, i.e. coveting. For these sins sometimes wound the whole soul more grievously and are more dangerous than those which are committed openly, since all mortal sins, even those of thought, make men children of wrath. When Christ's faithful strive to confess all the sins that they can remember, they undoubtedly place all of them before the divine mercy for pardon. But those who fail to do so and knowingly withhold some, place nothing before the divine goodness for remission through the mediation of the priest. For if a sick person is too ashamed to show his wounds to the doctor, the medicine cannot heal what it does not know. So that's all a quotation from the Council of Trent, which is in the New Catechism. Um, and that image there, the medicine cannot heal what it does not know is a beautiful image, I think, to use in our preaching um, and why we need to say... Because we all also know the experience of going to the doctor and not wanting to show... You know, I don't want to take my shirt off, thank you very much. Um, but if I don't take my shirt off, I can't show what's wrong. I can't be healed. Um, so mortal sins that after diligent self-examination I'm conscious of. What about sins I'm not conscious of, but then I remember later? Well, as I've said, a little subheading there, forgotten mortal sins. Uh, so we are bound to express in subsequent confession sins omitted in confession or forgotten because of the imminent danger of death or for some other reason. But until such time as I later confess them, the other sins which do not occur to him after diligent thought are understood to be included in a general way in the same confession, for we trustingly say with the prophet, from my hidden sins, cleanse me, O Lord. So I later realize I didn't confess this sin. The confession is included in a general way until I get to confession. Um, I wouldn't necessarily need to be rushing back there the next day. Um, but the, to bring it to the sacrament, to be unlocked by the keys, I need to do it at some stage. Circumstances, so somebody needs to confess relevant circumstances. So if I have sex with a nun, that's different to having sex with a married woman. It's a relevant detail. Um, also says to confess sin, things that indicate the degree of guilt. So somebody put something in my drink and I was not fully conscious in deciding what I was doing, I feel I was conscious enough that I did choose it, but I didn't choose it with the degree of freedom that I would have had if someone hadn't spiked my drink. That's a relevant detail. That's a good one, too. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I give that to the seminarians as an example because it's clear to people then why would you ask so some confessors be sure why would you ask whether it was a sheep or a cow that's, <laughs> that's not a relevant detail um, but it's the what's the answer this is the answers. <laughs> it's a natural question to ask <laughs> but to put that in reverse as a priest it might be the first question that comes to your mind yeah. um, <laughs> There was a priest who told me once that he'd asked the question and realised afterwards he shouldn't, um, how did you stop it from running away? <laughs> that's, um, now that isn't, that is not a relevant question. So one of the things in our priestly minds has to be, I only ask questions that are relevant, not questions that are of interest to me. So I need to have a, a break on my curiosity. The, the church says, as I've quoted there explicitly in canon law, you are not to inquire about the name of a partner in sin. So young Jimmy in my youth group, um, I've noticed him having his eye on Susan, um, comes to confession, and he says, I, I had sex with the girl father. Um, 
And before thinking about it, I say, oh, Susan, is it? Now, it's not relevant for me to be asking that question. Um, and I might ask it without intending to be intrusive, but it is intrusive. It's beyond what's proper to the sacrament. Um, so we need to be refraining from asking things, that circumstances that don't change the sin. Because that puts a burden on, an additional burden on him, and suddenly he's worried about now you know it's her, now she needs to. You know, you're worried about, well, she'll go to confession. And you're, and you're implicitly expecting her to come to confession. He's putting an unnecessary burden on him, isn't he? To expect her then to go to confession as well, now that you know her name. Right. Um, and it's just, on another level, it's just not information I have any right or need to know. It doesn't affect the confession of the sin. So, <clears throat> and it, it must be the case, must be not fun, but, um, but that knowledge of what's going on in your youth group, mm -hmm. because it's acquired in the confession, does not affect your, your relationship with people. You, you may guess who it is, mm -hmm. but that is, that is irrelevant to your relationship with, with, with young people concerned, the way you treat them, the way you speak with them. That, that, so that must be so, must be not. Right, indeed. Um, which is obviously easier said than done. Because um, this is one of the burdens of the priesthood, yeah. Um, but then we also need to remind ourselves that those guessing games we can play, we get wrong. We judge. And so Jimmy says he's had sex with a girl. I think it's Susan, because that seems obvious from what I've seen. But actually, it was somebody else altogether. It isn't in the youth group, and I don't know. But So that... You know, one of many situations in which we need to refrain from judging um, and presuming. So, um, irrelevant detail. The detail that is relevant is detail that affects the nature of the sin itself um, and potentially the degree of, of guilt. So someone confesses to having had sex while drunk, um, it might be relevant to ask, did you choose to get drunk, or was that an accident that led to the impurity and lessens the guilt of the impurity per se, or actually was that part of the whole night really, getting drunk? Did that It might or might not be relevant to ask that question. Um, or it might be that somebody's tone of voice more or less answers that question already, so that there's not a need to be asking. Two other things about the type of things to confess. Um, venial sins. So the primary thing of what this sacrament is about is mortal sin, is restoring your relationship with God and the church in those serious things that we call mortal sins. But the sacrament also forgives venial sin. The church also, even more than that, encourages us to confess imperfections, as I've quoted there, a recent document that came out four years ago now. Um, That's relevant on one level, in that I have heard priests who have interrupted penitence to say, that's not a sin, that's an imperfection. Um, that actually that's not necessarily a useful thing to be grilling the penitent about. Um, in part, I think, <coughs> because most of our venial sins can be rephrased as an imperfection, but there is actually a sin within it. So how have I phrased it? Well, maybe I've not phrased it in a way. So I confess to having um, slept through the snooze on my alarm clock this morning. Well, that's not a sin in itself. It's an imperfection. It might be the sin of laziness within that. Laziness is the sin. Sleeping through the alarm clock is not. So... What some, how somebody phrases a sin, usually as a priest I think we go with the fact that if they thought it was relevant to confess it, um, they were right to do so. 
um, and imperfections are proper to bring to the sacrament. But if somebody's only confessing imperfections and you sense actually there are more serious parts of your life that you're omitting, so you might have a mother who comes to you with all kinds of minor details but never once says anything about her children in terms of screaming at them, hitting them, being impatient with them, things that are actually much more foundational in her life. Um, to try and find a gentle way to ease a question in about something else in her life um, might be an important thing. Last thing to say before we start for lunch, um, the fad, the fashion, um, is not common as it was, but so top of page 11, um, the notion of confessing just one or two sins. So um, actually there's a Catholic girls' school just down the road from me where they were doing this when I moved to the parish. Um, they'd have a, a penitential service and they'd be told, well, I want you all to just think of what's one sin that you want to confess. And when you go to confession, that's the sin to confess. Well, I might then confess to laziness, but not confess with the fact that I'm committing adultery. You know, the, so John Paul II addressed this particular abuse uh, in a document that came out in his time. Um, and he points out that you can't safely assume that somebody has only one or two important sins to confess. Um, so what they have to confess are the mortal sins that they're conscious of. Um, but to tell people that they only have one or two um, is very bad pastoral practice. And certainly when you get a group of people, you can't generalise across a group and say, well, I think you're all only in venial sin, so you only need to think of one venial sin to confess. Um, that's not safe pastoral practice. Okay, to sum that up, confession then. Um, confessing all mortal sins you're conscious of. Um, confessing past sins that you've become conscious of. Um, and minimum matter, I have to be confessing something. So if I have nothing to confess, then there isn't that part of the matter that is needed for the sacrament. Um, the minimum amount of confession, if somebody is in, uh, they've only committed venial sins, they don't have to confess, therefore, a mortal sin. A standard act of contrition that will include sins of my past life would seem to just about tick that box at <coughs> one minimum level. And if they've said meandering imperfections about lots of other stuff, but they have made a properly formulated act of contrition at the end of it, then they've ticked that box enough that I don't need to think I need to be grilling them with other questions. Let's start for lunch. <laughs>